The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome to our Dharma Practice Day and to the Dharma Practice series that we have this year. And I think it's one of the wonderful things that we offer here at IMC. The opportunity of the Dharma Practice Days is to practice in community. Uh, Historically, a lot of the ways in which people grow and develop in Buddhist practice has been in a monastic setting, whether it's monastics living there or whether it's lay people coming to the monastery for special days. And one of the ways that the important aspect of that learning and is doing the practice in community where there's an opportunity to talk together about the teachings that you're learning, encountering, your practice that you have, and, to, and learn from other people how it's going with them and get feedback, be mirrored in various ways. And, um, and so uh, these Dharma practice days are meant to touch into the way in which we learn and grow in the practice in community. So rather than a teacher like myself uh, sitting up here and holding forth and everyone just listens passively and then goes home, um, which sometimes happens here, right? <laughs> The, um, the idea is that in Dharma practice days there'll be some teachings, um, some guided meditations, uh, some discussion together as a whole group, and opportunities also to be in discussion with each other, sometimes very simple discussions about the theme or the topics of the day, sometimes with uh, having discussions that are done in kind of more exercise form, so there's kind of a more targeted, kind of reflective or contemplative way of... Um, engaging in the, the topic and themes for the day. And in doing this, so I hope that uh, over the day and over the course of the year, that uh, those of you come regularly, that we will develop here a sense of community, you'll develop a sense of uh, familiarity and relationship with uh, fellow practitioners, and that you'll be able to uh, explore in a very personal way some of your um, the particular themes of practice in your own practice so that um, uh, it comes alive for you. Sometimes only by talking and only by being in conversation with people do some of the, m- the different dimensions and some of the depth of uh, your own personal relationship to the Dharma come alive. And um, so um, that's kind of the plan, the kind of overall background or the purpose of this. For this year, The theme for this series is what's called the paramis, the ten perfections. And I'll talk in a few few moments about this. Um, And um, um, the paramis, the perfections. Um, But there are hopefully in a variety of ways you'll be supported uh, through this. One is every, every day I'll provide a handout that you can take with you if you'd like where there are some um, reflections and exercises and practices you can do uh, on each of the parami for the month. So you can live with it for the month. And then uh, at the bottom of this handout, there's a URL to a page on IMC's website that has a lot of resources on the parami itself, on the perfection of the month. 
And uh, there are 10 different perfections, so there's 10 different kind of months we're doing this. And so if you're inclined, there are Dharma talks there on each of the perfections. There are quotes by the Buddha on the perfection. There's diff- different things you can, uh, and these handouts are there as well. So there's different things you can, you know, if you can augment it through the, through the, uh, you know, the month, if you want to touch into it and live with it and let this whole teachings on the perfections come alive for you and something that you don't just t- touch into, you know, when you come here Friday, but that, you know, th- through, the, through the month, you kind of can let it keep working on you. You can keep working on it and let it come alive in your life and your practice. The, um, so that's a kind of very brief introduction. Um, we'll take a break in a few, in a few minutes. <clears throat> um, and then, uh, uh, so the general format is we'll have a session, we'll take a break, we'll have a session, we'll break for lunch, we'll have a session after lunch, take a break, and then continue till 3.30. Uh, sometimes we'll vary that little bit, but that's kind of the general idea. And lunch uh, is informal and um, not done in silence like they are on day long. So you can sit together and talk and get to know each other. And then what's a lovely thing to do, if you're so inclined, is to uh, see if someone, uh, if you're inclined, to, if you're thinking of doing this for the month, is to uh, see if there's someone here who would like to be your Dharma practice day buddy for the year or, or just for the month or something. And um, so that you would maybe uh, have tea with them or have a phone call with them or have some contact with someone who's also in the program in order to have some follow-up discussions. You know, maybe they do the reading, they do the exercises, the reflections in the handout, they listen to the talks on the paramis. And uh, so you have someone to kind of share your thoughts and your reactions and responses to it with and be in conversation. So kind of a, a parami buddy. And uh, it's not a f- required part of this, it's just an opportunity. So if you run into someone here who you, you'd like to do that with, I'd encourage you to ask if they'd like to be a buddy. And it doesn't have to be for the whole year. It could just be one month at a time. You can have serial buddies. <laughs> and um, so, um, so that, you know, at, uh, you know, it might be nice very much to hear, you know, be, so just, you know, say, you know, would you like to get together for coffee? And, and uh, you know, you, you can talk Dharma at Starbucks. It's possible. And uh, or you know go for a walk and for a walk someplace together just for an hour or something and and just to kind of share share reflections on the topic and so that's something I'd like to encourage you to do if you're inclined. So in that guided reflection that we did during that meditation session, I asked you a question. The question was, what inner psychological or, in, or what qualities of mind or heart do you have that provide you with stability, provide you with support? Uh, for your practice for meditation. In the same way that you know, your physical posture, your body can provide support, um, what qualities of mind or heart do you have that you identify that support you to help you really be here, be here in a stable way, to let go, to relax deeply? And I wonder if uh, some of you would be willing to just share some of the uh, particular things that came up for you and maybe, maybe, just maybe mention one and other people can mention others. Yes. And also when you speak, and this, uh, these days, be nice uh, if you say your name first, so that and, uh, we you know, and do it every time so that we can kind of get to know each other a little bit better. I'm Yolana. Um, 
typically if I feel loving kindness, then my meditation goes smoothly. Great. Thank you. So your loving kindness. I'm Courtney. Um, curiosity tends mm-hmm. to help. Mm, nice. Curiosity. Letting go. So letting go. Mm-hmm. Trust in the Dharma. Uh-huh. So trust in the Dharma. So there's a, oh yes, your name. Sorry. Sally. I'm Sylvie. Um, concentration. Mm-hmm. Concentration. Compassion. Mm-hmm. Compassion. Would you, uh, yeah, before, before, yes, great. Hi, I'm Esther, and uh, gratefulness. Gratefulness, nice. And then give it to Mary there and see what Mary wants to say. Oh, I'm Trudy, sorry. Yeah. It's a high risk to come, it's a high risk to come to Dharma practice days. You, 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 you might be called on. Sorry? Perseverance. Perseverance, nice. That's one of my personal strengths that supported me a lot in my practice. Bonnie. I'm Bonnie. This may sound a little funny. Um, but a sense of order. Sense of order. Mm. Can you say, that's wonderful, but uh, can you give us just little words around what order means for you? When I sit, I have a, a kind of an inner order uh-huh. that I go through uh-huh. and it helps me to deepen. Oh, nice. So ordered like a sequence of like a sequence. sequence. So you have a practice, a technique, a practice that you follow that is very helpful. Yes. Very nice. Good. And then Judy behind you. I was thinking persistence and coming back. Persistence and coming back. And then one more, and maybe Sonia, who's here with her service dog, which is very nice. Oh, oh yes. Um, Order triggers for me. If I have order in my life and I don't have a lot of things that I'm expecting to do or haven't done or haven't done the dishes or whatever. So order in that respect uh-huh. is Great. So you can me. take it to Sonia. If you don't mind, Sonia. No, good. <laughs> yeah, I'm Sonia. And um, I have two things I mainly rely on. It's kind of like my the connection I have with my body. Uh-huh. And um, a sense of joy that I have during meditation. Nice. 
So those are lovely, all those, and there's many more, but you kind of got a sense of, of the kind of things that can support one in practice. And I would think that each of those things can be strengthened and developed over time. And, uh, and probably they do. They kind of self, if, to the degree to which they're there and they support practice, they probably get fed or they get stronger in, in, as a result. So, um, um, the, uh, the theme for this year is, the, and the Pali word is parami, and usually in English it's called, translated as perfections. And uh, it's an okay translation. Um, some people say that the word uh, uh, para, uh, the, the, some people say see it as the root of the word, uh, has also the meaning of other. And so it's then, in this case it refers to the other shore. And so practice is to go from this shore to the other shore. And this shore is the shore of, of the river. This shore is the shore of um, greed and hate and fear and agitation. And the other shore is the shore of um, the opposite of those things, including liberation and freedom. And uh, so these are the things that support us to ferry us across to the other shore, to this place of freedom that Buddhism points towards. And, um, and so uh, there, are these, uh, there are ten paramis, ten perfections. Another way, the word parami also means like uh, ultimates, that which is supreme. And so rather than the idea that perfection has my idea of people are perfectionists, worry about the word perfection and like I have to do this just right and by the end of this year you know I better get an A you know or something you just get it just right but it's more like these are the supreme these are like like really sublime or wonderful states so in that sense they're kind of this word parami also means like excellent and um, and uh, there's ten of them and they're there uh, and they, de- they didn't they don't come from the Buddha the individual ones the Buddha talks about but as a list, they appeared in Buddhism later. And, uh, and, uh, and down through the centuries, they've become kind of enshrined in Theravadan Buddhism as very important qualities that are understood, that, that support people in their practice. And if you go to Thailand and Burma today, and if someone's having challenges with their Buddhist practice, with their meditation practice, and... Um, and they somehow they get stuck or don't seem to be going any further, whatever that might mean. Uh, it's very common for the teachers to assess the situation as being that the person hasn't developed the appropriate paramis in order to support them to go further. So like if you, uh, you know, if you want to take the skyline to the sea trail up here, and, you know, maybe the other direction, you know, from the sea to skyline, which is uphill about, Two, three thousand feet, um, and you only make it to um, uh, Big Basin, which is maybe I don't know, a little less than halfway, maybe or so halfway, before it gets steep. Um, you just you know you finally just give up. Then you know someone might say you know that person um, you know hadn't really developed the physical strength yet or the stamina yet had never hadn't trained. Uh, been sitting on their couch for ten years, and uh, and just wasn't didn't have the physical strength to make it all the way, or the person didn't have faith in the map. The mountain looks too tall, and so they didn't have any faith that the, that the park service had actually made good trails, and so they gave up halfway, 
or they um, didn't find any joy in it. And so they, because they didn't enjoy it, they didn't know how to enjoy hiking and being in nature. They kind of like, you know, it was too much of a drag. So you could point to certain qualities that are lacking, maybe, that responsible for why they give up halfway, why they couldn't make it all the way. So in the same way, uh, the teachers in Burma and Thailand sometimes say, oh, that person needs to develop more of these qualities before they can really make sense to really come back on retreat or do more, more work. And, um, and so, some, so the idea that you don't want to just... Some, some meditators will try to just meditate their way through all their difficulties and all their challenges. And um, not realizing they have to... Also, we have to develop psychologically uh, to support that. Some people have... Um, when some people come to, a, uh, to a, in Asia, to a monastery, and their practice seems to go really smoothly and easily, the teachers will say, oh, that person has taramis. That person has developed these good qualities. And so that's why it goes so easy for them. And, um, and so you know, maybe life circumstances, who knows why some people have these qualities developed already. Um, and um, so I think a healthy kind of approach to Buddhist spiritual life is to appreciate how we can develop these qualities of heart and mind um, in our life in general, outside of meditation. How we live our life and how we, what we develop and cultivate then supports meditation. What happens in meditation supports our normal life. So there are ten of these paramis, uh, these perfections, these sublime qualities that we all have them, um, but maybe in varying degrees, and they can be developed and grown. And they, partly they grow by appreciation knowing that they exist and appreciating them, we can recognize them more easily and they can grow. So the first is compassion. No, not compassion, is generosity. Um, I'll set, talk about compassion in a moment. But first is generosity. The second is virtue. The third is usually translated into English as renunciation, that capacity to let go. The... The uh, fourth is wisdom. The fifth is effort. The sixth is patience. The seventh is truthfulness. The eighth is resolve. The ninth is loving kindness. And the tenth is equanimity. And in this way, they're kind of an ordered sequence. They support each other and grow out of each other. The first two, generosity and, and the virtue, have a lot to do with the relationships we have with the world around us, with other people. <clears throat> and uh, this is uh, repeatedly in the teachings of Buddhism and the teachings of the Buddha, very important to remember that the foundation of practice is our interrelated life with each other. And we want to establish a healthy relationship to the world around us. And generosity is one of the great ways of developing healthy relationships. And so is virtue. With that as a foundation, then it goes on to uh, letting go. And, um, but if you let go well, practice healthy, wise renunciation, um, then uh, it, you better do it wisely. So, we, and so as we learn to let go appropriately, we bring wisdom along, we learn wisdom, <coughs> the kind of wisdom that grows out of a healthy letting go. <coughs> and that with wisdom, then we can make better effort. 
But if you make effort, you better learn how to be patient. So once you make effort, what often follows is patience. Then with doing this practice, the idea is we're connecting more fully with the truth and and being more truthful. But if you're, and with with the connection to the truth, then there can arise a wonderful resolve or determination, uh, aspiration to live the truth, to live as, uh, live in a true way. So resolve becomes something, follows that. And then um, as we practice with resolve, one of the great resolves, uh, determinations, is to practice with loving kindness, to have love or compassion or kindness as we practice. And then as all this gets mature and developed, the most sublime of the perfections, the most special, the most important one for the the ultimate purpose of the perfections is equanimity. So that's the last one. So there's a kind of a, a flow that, between them as well. And um, the purpose of these ten and the, is that uh, to, to lead to liberation, uh, to lead to the sure heart's release, to have the heart no longer contracted, but to have the heart live a life with a heart that's open. <coughs> and, um, and in the background of them all, kind of in... in <coughs> kind of pervasive in this whole enterprise of liberation, uh, uh, or these, these paramis, is the idea of liberation and is the idea of compassion. Explicitly in this early tradition, as they kind of to talk about these paramis, they're connected to compassion and liberation. In fact, what makes the parami a parami is that it's connected to a path or a movement towards liberation and compassion. So generosity, many people are generous, but generosity by itself is not a, does not become a parami unless we can feel or sense or understand how it's connected to a movement of freedom and how it's connected to compassion for oneself and for others. And so for each of these 10, uh, part of the kind of exploration is how is it that these are supportive or they support uh, the movement towards freedom and compassion. So that's the kind of overarching kind of introduction to uh, the theme for this <coughs> year. And for today, uh, we'll look at, uh, spend some time with generosity. And each of uh, each day we'll do, for the next 10 meetings, we'll do what, which of these qualities um, explored for the day. And um, <clears throat> and um, this is probably the, I think the third time here at IMC, uh, we've spent a year uh, with the Dharma practice days doing the, these perfections. And it's a wonderful um, supportive kind of thing to explore. It's some of the really special qualities of heart and mind that we all have that it's really worthwhile spending time getting to know better. So before we take a break, uh, does anybody have any comments or questions about <clears throat> what I've said or what we're doing or anything, anything you'd like to ask? And then remember always to say your name because it takes us a while to learn it. I'm Yolana. I was just wondering how is the paramis different than the seven factors of awakening? Because equanimity is the same, for example. <clears throat> yeah. 
yes. and effort is kind of the same as energy. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's a lot of lists in um, in early Buddhism, and uh, one of the reasons uh, uh, one one of the theories I have about uh, all these lists is that um, the um, the lists are often dynamic, where they're talking about things that exist in relationship to each other. And um, so it's kind of like when you look into an ecosystem and you look at the ecology, you identify the different species that are living there, different ecological elements, and then you study the relationship between them, which is constantly shifting and changing. So when we try to understand our mind, which is our you know, inner life, it's quite complex. It's a, it's a whole ecology in its own right. There's uh, supposedly, uh, supposedly more neuro- neural connections in the brain than there are stars in the universe. I mean, that's like pretty awesome. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, we know there's a lot of stars, but you know, there's more stars inside. <laughs> I mean, like a whole universe in there. So, so we're kind of studying the ecology of the mind. Now, your question, you know, how are they the same and different? Um, <clears throat> um, the seven factors of awakening are usually factors that are um, most identified with meditation practice itself. That's kind of like the core purpose of them, is the, something you develop in meditation. I mean, they're applicable and can be developed in all areas, but that's kind of, you know, as, as concentration gets deeper and deeper, these seven factors become, send out more hi- highlight in meditation practice itself. The paramis are understood, uh, certainly can be included in meditation, but they're much more understood as things that we practice in daily life or things that we are applicable to how we live our lives more generally. And, um, and so these different lists, you know, sometimes they have the same uh, concept in them, but because they're in a list, they have a different way in which different uh, dynamic that they're related to, different uh, process they're in. So some factor awakening are, are one psychological process, the 10 uh, perfections are a different one. And they overlap, of course. Make sense? Yeah. Great. Yes, Sonia. Um, wait, wait for the. Some people need to uh, us to use the. Um, the uh, ten perfections. Whenever I I um, work with them, I don't have another word. Um, every time I come to the conclusion that it's um, more like a very cognitive or um, emotional process that it involves. But I personally, and I realized when I gave my answer earlier, I trust a lot on my body, like what my body, um, what kind of feedback it gives me. Um, Where does this fit in? Because, or is this part of it, or... So what do you mean by cognitive? I, I find that especially um, working with, let's say, um, developing patients, it's for, for me it's um, mainly something, it's a cognitive or, or a skill that I um, develop through my emotions or my, my cognition during meditation. My, my physical strength, I find, is something that I have to work on too, but doesn't seem part of the ten perfections. Oh, the body. Yeah, <clears throat> you know what I mean. Yeah. Just like I know that they're all like are interwoven and everything, yeah. but um, I always feel so kind of like when, when I think about like I trust on my I, on my body on the feedback my body gives me or like 
what I realize within my physical mm -hmm. whatever, uh, or that I actually exercise in order to strengthen myself to meditate yeah. and to offer a um, kind of like a platform for my emotions and my cognition to help me develop. Mm -hmm. okay, okay. I always feel that this is kind of like not in there. Is yeah, there you're a right. Reason, or is that me? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. There, um, there's a lot of emphasis in the Buddhist practice on mindfulness of the body, being being present in your body, being embodied. But in terms of doing physical exercise or doing, you know, building the body's strength and doing all that, um, there's very little teaching specifically about that. Um, it's my theory that um, if the Buddha was alive today, there would be a ninefold path, not an eightfold path, and he would add uh, right exercise. And and the the reason for the, uh, my theory about why it was not included back then is that. Um, People walked everywhere then, and um, and so th I think they were just generally more physically fit. Um, you know, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have TV, they didn't have um, you know, you know, the kind of I mean, the kind of couches that even poor people have in America now are, would probably be considered you know, luxuries of royalty back then. So I think that uh, you know it was a much more physically engaged uh, life. I once visited when I was young. I, I went to the Amazon jungle, parts of it, and uh, and at the edge, kind of the edge of it, and um, and there were these uh, indigenous people who had come out in their canoes. Actually, they were going back in to the into the Amazon. They'd been out uh, shopping, getting getting things what they needed, I guess, and um, and they're loading on their canoes and they were going back in. So I, I actually could see them there, and. and um, and uh, I was deeply struck that these, those, their bodies, because they were just wearing, you know, nothing above their waist, were the most physically healthy bodies I think I've ever seen in my life, each one of them. Um, and, um, you know, just, just the right balance, not, they weren't buff, but they were clearly strong. They weren't like bulked up. And, um, but they were, it was kind of, a, I don't know what to say, a kind of a, I don't know, a humbleness wouldn't be the right word, but it was kind of like a just simple body, but healthy and vibrant. So, you know, they don't have gyms in the Amazon, I don't think. Not, so, so in the same way, I think back in the ancient world, people didn't, didn't need the kind of, that kind of teaching as we have today. And I, I, I very much think that the, also, that the our physical body is inseparable from our inner psychological and emotional life. The two go really close, hand to hand, hand, hand together, and like things like patience, I think of it as a, a lot of these as embodied states as much as they are mental states. Okay, that anything else? Great. So uh, we can take a 15-minute break. <laughs>